This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey everyone, it's Sophia, and welcome back to this week's Work in Progress. Today's guest is an actor, a producer, a mental health activist, and even a superhero when she's on set. You know her best as Kara Danvers, aka Supergirl on The CW, it's Melissa Benoist. Melissa was always attracted to acting and performing and has described herself as a theater kid at heart. She's been acting in movies and television since 2008 and had her Broadway musical debut in 2018's Beautiful. Melissa's husband, Chris Wood, is a founder of the I Don't Mind Mental Health Awareness Campaign, a cause which Melissa has vociferously supported. Melissa has also spoken out about her own experience as a survivor of domestic abuse and has established herself as a voice and encouraging force for domestic abuse victims everywhere. More recently, Melissa has added novelist to her ever-growing list of accomplishments. She co-wrote her book, The Powers, Haven's Secret, with her sister, Jessica Benoist, and best-selling author, Mariko Tamaki. I'll be asking Melissa about the book, about being a superhero, and about her experience with mental health as both an individual and an advocate. I am incredibly impressed by Melissa's courage, her poise, and the way that she looks at the world, and I think you will be too. Without further ado, welcome Melissa Benoist. I'm so excited to to jump in with you today. You know, before we started the show and we were sitting here on Zoom, you know, you and I were sharing that it's, it feels like everyone we've ever met tells us we're supposed to be friends. So yes. I'm, I'm so excited to finally... So many people have told me that. Yeah. I'm, I'm so jazzed to finally hang and, and honestly to talk about work and career and balance and mental health and all the things. But before we jump into where we are today, I really like to go back with people 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to Google a person or do research and find out what they're up to uh, and, you know, the things that they've been in. But I'm always really curious if the people who come on the show, for whatever it is they're known for, would look back at their childhoods and say, oh, I was the same or, oh, I was very different. You know, was <laughs> was Melissa at eight or nine or ten similar to the Melissa the world knows now? Similar, yes. And even, I'd say, I don't even know how to describe it. I would say even more vivacious. Mm. I think I was less, you know, before the the world knocked me down a couple times and, and, Mm. you know, you get chewed up every now and then in your adult life. But I think before that stuff happened, uh, when I think about my childhood, I just remember feeling fearless to be myself. Mm. And i uh, that's a feeling I miss. I, when I look back on eight, nine, ten-year-old Melissa, I just remember being really weird and knowing people thought that I was weird and not caring in the slightest. Mm. And just loving what I loved and really in an uh, unashamed way. And being, I was really hyper and had a ton <laughs> of energy um, and just always had fun. Just was always wanting to run around and have fun and act, act crazy. Yeah. <laughs> when you think about liking what you liked without, you know, any shame or fear of judgment, what what sticks out to you? What, what were you really into? It was always theater um, from a very young age, definitely um, doing theater. And I, I did children's theater and dinner theater and like kids, kids shows. Like I played a puzzle piece once and literally had to wear like a massive six foot foam. I was like sandwiched in between these two pieces of foam and I was a singing puzzle piece. And (laughs) it was, so it was the theater. It was um, the books Mm. that I read. I was a huge Harry Potter nerd to the point where I would wear like Harry Potter shirts to school before the movies came out. And I had a Hedwig stuffed animal I was also, I was really innocent. I believed in Santa Claus until I was 12, which is arguably way too old. (laughs) But I think it was my imagination. And I loved playing in my imagination and really kind of diving into Mm. that and playing with Barbies and dolls with my little sister Mm. until I was older. I I really was unashamed and didn't fear judgment in in those Mm. kinds of things. It's interesting for me now when I think about myself at that age, so much of what you're saying rings really true for me. I can feel Mm. part of my insides going, yep, yes, me too. Just raising my (laughs) hand over and over again. And it's, it's wild now looking at the young people in my life and, and the kids in my life. And I want them to be able to be kids for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And so I love that. I love hearing that you held on to your your child things for perhaps a little longer mm-hmm. because once they're gone, they're just gone. Yeah. I think that that's very cool. I, I know that you were born in Texas, yeah. though you were mostly raised in Colorado. So do you, yeah. do you consider yourself a Texan or a, a you know, a Colorado human? Um, I feel like a Coloradan girl through and through. Mm-hmm. And I loved growing up there. Have you been? Yeah. Yeah. A lot. It's the I, best. It's magic. It's mm-hmm. absolute magic. I love it there. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful place and a, a it was a really great place to grow up for me. I think it's really changed in the last 20 years and I don't get back up 
as often as I'd like, but growing up there, there, I don't, I, I don't want to say it's like real okie doke. It was just the perfect place to harbor that innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, and pe- the people are really kind and everyone's really outdoorsy. And that was also a massive part of my life that I've carried into adulthood and yeah. exploring national parks and um, just like immersing yourself in nature yeah. was a massive part of my upbringing. So that's why I think I feel like a Colorado girl. Yeah. There's kind of a parallel energy, interestingly enough, that I find between Colorado and California. You totally. Know, I'm from Los Angeles, and people are always Mm -hmm. so shocked by that here. And it's interesting because being from here, there was much more of of the kind of experience that you're referring to. Mm -hmm. You know, always being outside, always being in national parks, road tripping to the desert, going up to the redwoods, being in the ocean, going to the Sierras. I I had a very natural, barefoot, outdoors, Mm -hmm. you know, childhood. And And so many of the people, I think, who move to Los Angeles move here for industry, for jobs. You know, they come here and they just work, 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 work. But when you're from here, it's it's the nature. It's the, you know, small farm towns in California, you know, that that I feel as much connected to, if not more so than, you know, Sunset Boulevard. Completely. And I've and I've discovered that, too. I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. When I first moved to L.A., it was not my favorite place. And Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I discovered what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of like, well, duh, how did I not (laughs) know that I could drive five hours and go see Yosemite and see the Mm -hmm. most unreal, stunning view I've ever seen in my life? Um, Mm -hmm. And the Redwoods, which is, I don't think there's a place like that on Earth. It's um, actually one to move up there. That's how much I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Truly I mean, even thinking about them, I kind of lose my words. It's so mm-hmm. jaw-dropping. Nothing yeah. prepares you for that. It's- no, it feels prehistoric. There's, mm-hmm. uh, I felt whenever I was there, this like primordial energy that was, like you're saying, like mm-hmm. just untouchable with any kind of language. And mm-hmm. yeah, you're speechless, just ancient yeah. and being something. It's almost the way I felt too, but not the same. Have you been to Pompeii in Italy? No, I haven't. That it's the same kind of energy where you're like, this is something way bigger than me. And um, mm-hmm. and the redwoods, I feel like, are even more impressive because they're natural and those trees are just thousands of years old. Yeah, it's so cool. Anytime I I really want to get it, I just have to get out in nature. Mm-hmm. It's like an immediate readjustment. Yep, with your shoes off. And I yeah. love that you said a barefoot, because I, I feel that too. There's something really special in grounding yourself to the earth and dirt. and Absolutely. What what prompted you guys to move to Colorado to get out into that kind of nature? My dad, my dad was uh, in medical school in Houston. My mom is from Colorado, okay. and then my dad is from Texas. And they met in college in Texas. And my dad got a job at a practice in, uh, in Denver where all my aunts and cousins and grandparents were anyway. So I think that's where they wanted to land Uh, aside from, you know, my family being in Texas. I think they wanted to be in Denver no matter what. Was it awesome to grow up around so much family? Oh my gosh. It was, I I think about it now and and seeing, um, because I have a one-year-old and we're not around a lot of family here Mm. in California, which is a bummer because my mom babysat she has three 
sisters, and they all had like three to four children. Mm. And my mom babysat all of them. So on any weekend, wow. every weekend, it was like massive cousin sleepover. And wow. we'd have backyard Olympics and play town in the basement. The basement was a mess. <laughs> like I feel for my mom having to clean up after us, but it was just idyllic in that sense. Yeah. Mm. We'd make little movies and we made a movie about not doing drugs and then a and it was Simba and Mufasa talking about not doing drugs. <laughs> we were like, we're doing Dare meets the Lion King. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know what? It worked. It worked. I love it. So that was probably your your first taste of performing, right? Putting on these these plays with your troupe of cousins. Yeah, I think it was. How, how did you then get into your next phases of it? Did you start doing theater in school? I mean, I I know you were, you know, highlighting the moment as a puzzle yes. piece, but where where did where did the beginning spark get lit? I mean, my mom was great in that she really, uh, we had a lot of extracurricular activities and I think she just wanted us to try everything and, and see what we loved. And I was in dance at a really young age, like three years old and loved wow. that. And then somehow we found this children's theater company through a patient of my dad's. And I think my mom just kind of instinctively knew that we would love it. My sisters mm -hmm. did it with me. And so we joined this place and I, I ended up taking dance lessons there because they had dance as well but then they did these children's theater shows that were affiliated with a dinner like a major regional dinner theater in Colorado called the Country Dinner Playhouse and it was a barn <laughs> uh, that had a buffet I, I look back at pictures of it now and it, it's so I mean I'm so nostalgic about it but it's it was such a weird place to have a theater like the stage was on hydraulics and would go up and wow. down. Like explaining it doesn't make any sense to people that weren't there. But it was this playground. And the next stage, I think, that really, I think, solidified my love for this and, and my drive to make a career out of it was, was that foray into this theater. I felt so cool that I like worked where adults worked at night, yeah. even though we were doing the show's in the morning. Um, and then I did segue into actually doing shows at this dinner theater. I did like The Sound of Music maybe four times and wow. have played almost all the Von Trapp children. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've, there's only one of the daughters that I didn't play. And it, it was this really, I almost like get emotional when I talk about it because it was the last time I really remember doing acting and performing just for the love of it mm. and nothing else mm -hmm. and being so liberated in that way. That's a feeling I, I think I'm always going to be chasing. Me too. Yeah. It's the thing no one tells you about when the thing you love to do most becomes your job. Mm -hmm. No one tells you there will be a loss in that. Mm -hmm. You know, there, that there is a, there is a death in the success. Yeah. I wasn't really prepared for that. No, neither was I. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if I fully even grieved that. Well, I don't Still. Think, I haven't. I certainly haven't because you're not allowed mm -hmm. to. Because if you yeah. do, you're called ungrateful. 
Go totally. And and there is a natural sense, you know, you referred earlier to that idea of being without shame as a child. There is a natural sense of how dare I? Mm-hmm. The sort of shame around being sad about making it. Mm-hmm. It's a it's it's a deeply conflicting um reality. And I I think in the last few years I've been really working on increasing my capacity to hold space for the both and mm. and deeply consciously in the last two years. It's been mm-hmm. sort of my North Star goal in terms of um mentality at least and and that is a complex beast to hold. It's a lot to unpack. When you think about that, when you talk about this theater and I don't know. It just, it feels so sweet to me going from dance class at three to performing as a kid to then, you know, being a kid, but working with grownups and you're like, look at me, I'm doing this thing, <laughs> you know? And I, I know that you went to the Academy of Theater Arts and, yeah. and I, I'm, I'm hearing about the sort of expansion and the joy and, and the work, but I hear you also when you say there was a moment where it couldn't just be for fun anymore. It got serious. Mm-hmm. There were expectations attached. Mm-hmm. There was criticism and self-criticism, I would imagine, that came with that. Now, looking back, can you see when that started? Did you know at the time, or is it something that you've really processed more as an adult? Uh, I think I, it's been something that I've processed and currently processing still after the fact. And I I do think I know the moment it happened. And Surprisingly, it wasn't ever working at this theater. And I, I was employed there at, a, at certain points when I was doing the shows with the adults, but it mm. never felt like a job. I think the f- moment where it started feeling that was I had done like a few small things on TV, but then I got a job on Glee mm. in the fourth season. And I think that was when it started to shift. And it wasn't just, you know, working the longer hours. I was so naive and so excited mm-hmm. that I was actually making a living doing this. But yeah, there, there. I think the disillusionment for me has been a really slow process. Mm. I think that was the impetus, but it's been a more gradual descent into, oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm burned out. And you know what? I think it also is interesting because... That I had the upbringing and training that I did really in the theater world and in the specific theater that I worked in because it was work hard, you do your best, you show up no matter what, you say the lines that are on the page, what's written right there for you, that's what you do. And um, you don't complain. And you go on stage when you're sick, when you have a fever of 104 or you're Ooh, that's a prep for TV. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Uh-huh. And I loved it back then because I I loved the notion of the show must go on. And I was such a theater nerd. But as an adult and when it's on a television set, it just hit different. Mm-hmm. Um, and when there was maybe it's the money involved or I don't know what it is, uh, just the industry on a bigger scale than what I was used to as a kid. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm still like unpacking that. And I'm I think I'm in a similar place as you too, in the last two years of really examining what it all means to me and Mm. allowing the space to acknowledge the the parts that I miss and the parts of my job that I 
am frustrated by while still like having the blanket of gratitude underneath and over and around. Sometimes that feels like an impossible task. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's hard to hold opposite feelings simultaneously, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's incredible to make work that you love and that you care about. And it's complicated to be in a group of people that you really enjoy being around and also understand that you're not allowed to be human Mm -hmm. and that everyone will be really nice until there's a problem. Yeah. And then is the niceness real or is it partially real or is it, it's a lot, it's confusing. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's exacerbated and deeply magnified in our industry, certainly, Mm -hmm. because people are the commodities. Yeah. But I, I do think it is something that we're coming to a reckoning with in so many corporate environments. Yeah. You know, where people are really struggling to figure out what is this place? Is it work? Is it community? Is it both? Is it neither? It's, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions I think being asked about where we find ourselves and, Mm. and how these systems work. And, and it is confusing in ours, you know, for me in particular, there's this idea out in the world that actors are these coddled people, yeah, these like coddled, fragile people. And I'm like, I got yanked out of the hospital, literally out of a hospital bed with meningitis and forced to come to work. I like I was it. so sick. I thought I was going to die. I believe it. And yeah. my employers didn't care and they brought yeah. me to work. Yeah. I've been in similar situations. <laughs> and, I worked for a month uh-huh. knowing I had E. coli mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. I got from catering mm-hmm. and everyone was aware. Mm-hmm. And, but listen, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars if you don't show up to work. Mm-hmm. That's it. And it, that's something that I'm, I'm not afraid to say makes me really angry. And I'm glad. I And I hope that things um, and conversations are, are had about and about work environments and, and the way yeah. that a film set runs. But it's interesting. I, I actually really resonated with you saying that people are commodities. And mm-hmm. I do think, and that is something that was a part of my disillusionment to only doing this for the love of it. Cause I don't like that feeling. I don't like feeling like a commodity and um, I don't know anyone who does. No, really. Uh, It's a really strange, uncomfortable thing, especially um, when you get into being a performer for the right reasons, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And that relationship, I struggle so much with the dichotomy of, and the relationship between art as a commodity and the business of it with just pure art that you're mm-hmm. trying to express. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't, they, I don't know if they work well together. I don't, sometimes I guess there's lightning in a bottle, but I don't know how well those two things mesh. Yeah. It's tricky because sometimes you go, there it is. I, the mm-hmm. thing that came to mind right when you said lightning in a bottle was the silver linings playbook. Oh, totally. Watching yeah. that movie, whatever year that came out, I just thought, that's it. That's mm-hmm. the thing. That's the magic right there. Mm-hmm. And I do love what we do. I love telling stories. I mm-hmm. love it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know that I would love it if I was standing doing monologues on a corner. <laughs> like, <laughs> that would be weird. Um, but I, I think that part of the reason I've tried to figure out other avenues for this feeling. That's even how this podcast came to be. 
was a mm-hmm. desire to dig in mm-hmm. in a way that could be free, spontaneous. Mm-hmm. There could be no rules and no time boundaries. We could speak for 58 minutes or three hours and 15 minutes. It doesn't, we can just be because mm-hmm. everything is so regimented, so scheduled, so show up no matter what, you know. Yeah. I've missed weddings and funerals and, yeah. and things, and I and I love my job and it's hard. Yeah. It's all the things, you know. It, it's the adage, it's the best of times and the worst of times, and and everything else that goes along with it. And I don't know. I, I do think it's I am becoming okay with being willing to sit in the confusion of it and mm. the love of it and mm-hmm. be honest about not just the shiny parts. Yes. When I think like uh, uncovering that and shining the lights on the not so shiny parts, like finding that flashlight and digging in and, and mm. really illuminating what doesn't feel good about it is so important to, and I'm in the process now, I just finished this show that took a six year chunk out of my life. And I know you've been there Mm -hmm. and that's a crazy feeling to walk away. And while whatever that six years entailed, um, for me personally, it, it never felt definitive of who I was Mm -hmm. or my abilities as a performer, Mm -hmm. but it defined a massive, massive chunk of my life Mm -hmm. and, and almost like a my coming of age and illuminating the parts that I didn't like and acknowledging that is now I feel so empowering to know how to take the next steps forward yeah, or at least in, intuit mm-hmm. what the next steps should feel like yeah, and what works for me and what doesn't. And that's really unfamiliar territory for me because I'm, I'm someone who thrives when I'm given direction and I I like that. I'm I I like guidance a lot of times mm-hmm. and I my theater background, just doing what's on the page mm-hmm. and I'm there to work and I I'm used to being a workhorse. And for six years I I was, you yeah. know, I was the number one on a call sheet for a very rigorous show. Mm-hmm. And I think I um now am am just getting used to the idea that I don't have to exist at pure burnout all the time. Mm. <laughs> and unpacking like what that did to my body and my my stress mm-hmm. and my heart and my mind and being able to see family and friends, which I just didn't for yeah, years. It's so hard. It's so hard. But it's so good to see that that doesn't that's not what I need or want yeah. or deserve. And I do have hope that, you know, there's there you like what you're doing, you're creating what you know works for you and and fills that void mm-hmm. of what you want to express. Yeah. I, I think just to find other avenues. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about six years, what that defined for you. I worked in, on my first show in Wilmington for nine seasons. And what a gift to be employed through the writer's strike and through, you know, things that were so hard for people in our industry. But also, again, in the both and, it was difficult because then everyone looks at you as something rather than as who you are. Mm -hmm. And 
No one wants to hear that it was really hard to not see your friends or family for nearly a decade. Mm -hmm. And that working 17 hours a day can destroy your body. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I've also, I've definitely found, I've had to get a little honest with myself about, I got so used to working to burnout that I don't know how to do anything else. Yeah. So I, the same way. I have had to kind of have this reckoning with myself, which is, oh, I push myself to burnout. Even when I'm not quote unquote on set that way, it's, mm-hmm. I am, I am an insatiable worker. Yeah. And now Me I'm too. trying to figure out what do I do on the days when I don't have to work 16 mm-hmm. hours a day? Why am I still doing this? But yeah. I'm so used to that level of productivity that I, I think subconsciously I don't realize that it is unsustainable if I want to live as long as I want to live and do the things I want to do. And and I'm 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 really trying to look back at that programming. And and so when you say what it felt like, you know, to begin, you know, the quote unquote big break joining Glee, especially because you joined in season four. I mm-hmm. It was a massive, you know, juggernaut award-winning show. And I imagine as a young person in this industry, all you wanted to do was be good on that set. How how old were you when when that happened? 22? 22. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's all I wanted was to not rock the boat. It was so established. They they were really – they had – their routine and their rhythm. I wanted just to be be the good the good girl and the mm. good sport, even when things were unfair. And I've actually had sort of a reckoning in the last year or so, and maybe it's just time and and distance um, from it. But also, there have since been a lot of tragedies related to that show, and mm. and I I remember that time in my life as being so unhappy. So unhappy. And I wonder now, knowing what I know now and and being more comfortable with who I am, I, I I do think a lot of my unhappiness was insecurity because, like you said, I was joining the show that was so established and this juggernaut and already in the zeitgeist and had won awards. I was so insecure and naive and being disillusioned in that sense and seeing mm-hmm. things that I'd not seen before and seeing behavior I hadn't seen before and um, from people that, you know, were professionals that I looked up to. And then I also, I wish I could go back mm. knowing what I know now and just ask everyone how they were doing mm. because I, I know I wasn't the only unhappy one. And I, and I, I don't know if it was as bad a place as my memories tell me it was. Mm. And I think that's a part of that's the one of the hardest parts of being that young. And I know I was not even nearly as young as... How old were you when you started? 21. Yeah. But I think that's the difficult part of starting on TV shows specifically when in your early 20s and throughout mm-hmm. your 20s because everyone's 20s are hard. Yeah. And then you add this equation of... Um, being introduced and sometimes thrown into mm. 
this business and and experiencing fame for the first time and seeing how that affects people and and what it does and well and everyone everyone has this idea that it's going to be great no one's honest yeah. that it's actually a bit traumatizing yeah no one wants to say that mm-hmm. which i find really weird because i feel like we're setting yeah. people up for failure and it is such a complex bag i i agree with you you know the my girlfriends from Montreal Hill and I have talked about that a lot. We we all were on a FaceTime and myself and Joy and Hillary and Joy just started crying and said, I'm just so mad. I feel like we got robbed of each other because we were little girls who, you know, worked for a very dark, manipulative person who mm-hmm. didn't want us to be friends. <laughs> and we didn't have the tools at 21 what 21-year-old thinks they're being manipulated by their 44-year-old married boss? Yeah. You know, we didn't know. And likewise, I wish I could go back with the tools I have now and and kind of weed whack through what he was planting and do it differently. We all do. You know, I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that we've we've returned and rediscovered each other and 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 just as you say there were really bad times, but there were also days that were just great. Yeah. And I'm sure you had that too. Sometimes oh, yeah. sometimes you look around and you go, this is the best day. And yep. then you wonder, why can't every day be like this day? Yeah. And you never know what's coming. And and I I can say this, uh, you know, not not to speak for you, but you've been open about this and and I've shared some of my own experiences with this. So I hope that the analogy doesn't sound trite, but those kinds of environments are a bit like being in abusive relationships. Absolutely. You never know what you're going to get. So you're in high, uh, you're in high fight or flight risk anxiety all of the time. All the time. And it can have such hard effects on a body and on a, and on a mind. And, and I also think the early aughts were really like a breeding ground for that kind of destructive treatment of young women, Mm. you know? Absolutely. We're looking at it now, you know, acknowledging what the media did and people did and the internet did and blogs and commenters and, you know, the first wave of what were then, you know, the current Instagram comments, what that did to Britney Spears, but it did that to everyone. Yeah. You know, in in varying degrees. And it's it's a wild thing to look at. And I, I really remember... Because Glee didn't come on too long after our show did, I don't think. It's all a bit of a blur to me. Mm-hmm. But I remember thinking, wow, I really feel for those kids. That that mm-hmm. that looks really intense. Mm-hmm. And I think about it for you, because you are, you're still a kid when you're 21 or 22. Everyone acts oh, yeah. like you're a grown-up. But looking back, I realized I was still just a little girl. Yep. I look at myself on the first season of that show, and I'm not surprised I got cast to play a teenager. I look like a little girl. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think about that stepping into that for you at such a young age, and as a person that you are, having also been open about the fact that you've struggled with anxiety. Hi, me too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've you've talked about really coming to terms with the fact that anxiety and depression and those things began for you in your early teen years. Yeah. So I wonder, is that something you're conscious of now, or did you have an awareness of it then? So that you could I, begin to build a toolkit to deal with it? I definitely had an awareness of it then. And it mm. and it came from my parents' divorce. And I was very mm. keenly aware of that. 
I took it really hard and it was not, it was really messy. Mm. There, my family is kind of crumbling and I was 13, which, you know, I guess I, I was, I was a little more unscathed than my younger sister who was eight years old. And that is such a formative time, but 13 still, I mean, I was in the thick of puberty and it, I was like full blown Pen 15. I don't know if you watched that show, but that was me. (laughs) I was like, oh, I feel so seen by this. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Sometimes it makes me cry. Me too. I'm like, oh my God, that's how I felt when I got my first thong. (laughs) But I I was so just in the most awkward time of my awkward years. Mm -hmm. And their divorce was not, like I said, it wasn't clean and it was not pretty. Mm -hmm. And I knew... My mom was also very aware, and and my I was lucky to be in a family that mm. um, my grandparents even my grandma worked in psychiatry, and everyone was just you can tell us how you feel, and it's okay to not be okay. I wouldn't go so far as to say like that they would advocate like just telling everyone, which which I wish more of us did um, mm. when we weren't feeling okay. And and that's something that I'm really passionate about trying to get people to be more open about. Yeah. But I did have this safety net that my mom got me into therapy the second it happened. And I know that's a pretty wow. common thing to do and everyone recommends it when a family is in the middle of a divorce. But I really took to it. And um I knew I was, I think my therapist at the time, she gave me the toolkit to understand when I was depressed, understand when I was having anxiety or Mm. when I was having a panic attack, even if I didn't know how to handle it, which I'm 33 and sometimes I still don't know how to deal with it. But Mm -hmm. just the awareness. Yeah, I I do feel very lucky that I, I got the awareness so early. That's incredible. Do you feel like that? helped you understand, again, not necessarily that you knew how to deal with it, but understand the intensity of that first experience, that first regular working gig on a show as big as Glee. Were you able to, in that in that space, say, ah, I, I know what's happening in my body right now? Yes and no, mm-hmm. oddly enough. <laughs> I, I didn't know how to separate. And, and I feel the same way as you. When I look back on that time too, it, it feels like a blur. I didn't, I don't know if I knew yet how to separate the work of it all and, and what it was doing to me personally. And I don't even know how to describe that. <laughs> I understand that though, because it, it, look, as you're saying, it's common, um, you know, perhaps more now than it was then. 20 years ago, but it we understand that a divorce is hard on a kid. Yeah. We don't understand that getting on a hit TV show can be incredibly volatile for a person's yes. understanding of their place in the world, expectations. It's it's a good thing. So mm. you're not allowed to say I'm struggling. Right. And I, I yes, I think that's the kernel of it for sure for me. I, I didn't want to admit that I was, I mean, I was living my dream. Yeah. It's what I'd always wanted. No one tells you your dreams can be complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think too that from the outside looking in, the intense success of that show and also what appeared to be the intensity of producing it, the mm-hmm. the singing and the recordings and the dance rehearsals and the choreography, I mean, I you you went through five rounds of auditions to even get on the show. Is that right? 
Yeah. I mean, what was that process like for you? Um, I mean, it was exciting. Mm -hmm. And I think a, a, a part of me, and this is something I still struggle with too, is a, a part of me always believes that I'm not, it's not going to be me. So I think I uh, was comforted in, in that mm -hmm. <laughs> feeling like, wow, this is crazy. This They want to see me again. That's amazing, but I'm not going to get it. I, and it wasn't until my last audition that was actually on the stages that they shot the show on, on the, in, like on the auditorium Whoa. stage in the choir room. They had me singing for Ryan Murphy in the choir room. I, that was the moment where I was like, oh, maybe this is happening. And that's something of, of like a flaw of mine that I'm, I really want to work on is I think that ties the fact that I didn't believe I was going to get it. And then I did. And I was like, oh my gosh, working in a week. Um, I'm on set in two days. That's yeah. crazy. Is this idea that I sometimes allow life to happen to me and then process it after mm. it's happened. Uh, and it's gotten me into some really sticky situations, uh, especially in this business we work in. And yeah. I'm, I'm working on that still. Me too. You know? <laughs> I, I think there's a natural tendency toward that for mm. folks like us because, you know, there's that adage, it's not real till you sign. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not real till your first day on set. There's a lot of don't get excited. Don't let it in. Don't feel mm -hmm. anything. Don't. Don't, you know, put all your eggs in one basket. So you get very used to holding your own joy at arm's length. Yep. You know, I, it's such a weird thing, but you, you know, you were talking about your family and, uh, your, your, your baby. And I think about that uh, and, and we'll obviously, we'll get into those things. But in this moment, I'm realizing I, I didn't know being in the best relationship I've ever been in you know, with my fiance, having done all the work to, to be in this place in this moment in time, uh, to see a person this way, to be seen by a person this way. I didn't even realize that there was still a part of me that deep down, deep, deep way down was still like sort of doing this, like mm. holding on to like his collar, but like a Heisman, you know, just like, I'm going to really, I'm going to hold on tight to you because you're my person, but I'm going to hold you out here just because I'm still scared of my own joy. And yep. it was like, it was really weird. We got engaged and I think it took me like two or three days to, to say, I have to tell you, I just realized I've been doing this really weird thing. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, oh, I don't take that personally. I know you're just an anxious person. <laughs> it's like, this is why you're my person. But it's, I, I laughed about it because I thought, oh, my, my entire life and career has taught me to do this. Yeah. Not to, to not let celebrate. It in. Yeah. Not celebrate your wins. Yeah. It's such a weird thing. And, and look, I, oh God, it's also weird when someone's sort of being very vulnerable with you and you're like, you too. And then, and then the tendency is to be like, oh, I'm so relieved, but it's like, I don't want anybody else to feel, you know, anxious and scared of their own joy. But I will say I'm, I'm so, I don't know. I just feel very comforted having this conversation with you because again, you look at people whose work you admire, whose activism you admire, whose stance on things and the way they speak about things publicly as, as you've spoken about so many of these things you know, publicly and chosen to use your platform. I, I've always been like, she seems cool. I like her. And then <laughs> I felt the same way. <laughs> I love this. And then, but I think about also, I don't just admire your 
persona. I, ad- I admire your work. You know, you've gotten to play Thank so you. many incredible roles in great films. I mean, Whiplash, good God, I have many questions about it. But like <laughs> in films and television and 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 I, I don't know. I think it's easy when we look at, you know, someone's resume on IMDb or whatever to to think, wow, they're nailing it, and and to forget mm. that they might have a deep well of feelings about you know, their life and <laughs> so career. So many feelings. So many feelings. <laughs> I have all the feelings. Also, Is, when have have you ever felt like you were nailing it? Because I haven't. No, never. No, you know what's so funny? I I remember uh, one of my closest friends, who also happens to be on my team. She's an agent on my team. And, you know, we grew up, I mean, we like grew up together since we were 20 something babies. And we were talking about, she, she was saying when she really got her first understanding of the intensity of the, of the One Tree Hill fan base. And she was like, I don't, I love you, but this doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't deal with this with the people who I work with from like the friends cast. What is this? And I said, mm-hmm. you know, I think... I don't know either because I think when something is so seminal to people, you know, I think about it and I made all these comparisons to what Sex and the City was for us when we were in college and, you know, the things. And and we got, you know, down this whole rabbit hole and I was like, but I mean, it is crazy because I'm not famous like Jennifer Aniston is famous. Mm-hmm. And she was like, right, but you're famous. And I was like, well, no, like Jennifer Lawrence is famous. Julia Roberts mm-hmm. is famous. And I went on this mm-hmm. whole thing and, and she was like, why are you all like this? Every entertainer I work with doesn't think they are really an entertainer. They think everyone else, like, and she was like, yeah, Julia Roberts is like the biggest movie star of all time. Maybe not the person to compare yourself to. I was like, no, I I think she's an icon. And, you know, to me, that's that's a person who's nailing it. But like, I don't know, did Julia Roberts watch Nine Perfect Strangers and go, why why didn't I get Nicole Kidman's part? Like, I don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. She might have. She might have. Like we don't we don't actually know. And so that's that's a thing that I always think is so interesting. Is yeah. that all of us go, no, no, no. Well, I was I I was like, all my time was taken up by this thing. So I didn't get to do these other things. So I'm, yep, exactly. I'm not nailing it. Yep. What is that? I don't know. And I wish I wish we could stop. I, I wish I could stop. Okay. Well, I, I will, if I may, lob a soft stop sign in your way. Of of the roles you have played, be it in films or or on television, is there one that comes to mind right now as being either the most fun or the most inspirational for you to have taken on? Uh, it, it's always the answer because of the experience as a whole. It was Whiplash, mm. and because and not because of anything that happened. After the film was released, um, which obviously it was as ex- as successful as it was, but the process of working on that and really? the full, I think that's the only job that I've had in my professional career where I felt that feeling that I was chasing as a kid mm. or that I had as a kid. What was that? Why was it such a special set to work on? It was Damien's first movie and... I think he was so, everyone was just so hungry Mm. to tell the story so well. And the script was so great. And even like my audition process was, he, he, we did like improv scenes scenario. Like he would just like, he'd be like, okay, well, why don't you play her now? Nicole is seeing Andrew on the bus and it's six months after. And we just went and did it for five minutes, I'd say. And 
that I've not, I've not had that experience even in an audition room um, that was that creative and like playful. And then on set, there was just an energy about it. I don't know. Mm. It was really exploratory and yeah. I think it really resonated with the character. He he told me, Damien said we were cursed, which also I loved, which oh. you really get to do a lot of. Yeah. And Damien said to me, I, I want you to just like really embrace all of your insecurities for this. She's really insecure, this girl. And I was like, easy. <laughs> I'm You're there. Like, oh, I can show those things on the outside? <laughs> and I, I just love his attention to detail. Mm-hmm. He, I have a chicken pox scar and... Someone a month right here. Do you right here? Yeah. Oh my god. I just thought of that. Putting a Um, shirt on. (laughs) Yes. 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 Totally. Well, also I would pick them off. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Um. But I have this chickenpox scar, and like three weeks before, I'm not even kidding. Someone was like, someone told me that I should maybe fill it with fillers. They were like, "Well, maybe you should get rid of that scar." And I was like, "What?" Uh. Never once have I ever thought of that. And then Damien, while we were rehearsing, was like, I love this chicken pox scar. I just love these things that make people real. Yeah. And I that was that honestly, I think is the the theme of that entire job for me. It was just about being present and real. And I loved, I loved, I just loved the whole experience. That's so cool. And I think, gosh, it's so interesting that sometimes it's that small moment for us as performers that does something for us. I I did an episode of this great Netflix show called Easy. And Joe mm-hmm. Swanberg is the writer and director. But his whole thing is he's like, I don't do scripts. I do outlines. And mm-hmm. I have a, an idea or a piece of dialogue that has to be hit in a scene. And then you guys find the rest of it. That's amazing. And coming from, as you know, you know, a very scripted CW show, mm-hmm. I, to go on set and be like, there's no script. And he's like, no, you just basically, you're supposed to communicate this, but also you can do it in your own words. And I'm just going like sweating (laughs) this deep feeling of like panic, but also glee and being like, I, I, these, it's like butterflies. And also I might vomit and I don't know what's Mm -hmm. happening. And I'm so excited and so scared. And it was the most, fun and free and enjoyable thing. And it made me fall in love with acting again. It was the feeling Mm. I had been chasing forever. Mm. That feeling that you get the best of the days on your series where you're like, oh my God, that was it. It was like that for a week. And it was so fun and wild and cool. And so it's interesting when you talk about this, I, I get that same sense. And it, I don't know, it really informs the way I want to move forward yep, in work. Me too. Me too. You know, and and again, that's not to it's not to like shit on being on a hit CW show. We both did it, and they were mm-hmm. there were incredible things about them. And I and I mm-hmm. do feel like there's so many people who know you as Supergirl. Yeah. And I remember just thinking, like, good for her because it was the first female-led superhero series period, since Wonder Woman went off the air. Like, I know, isn't that crazy? Back in the day. Did you know that when you were cast? Was that a thing they were talking about? Or was that more of like a like a fun fact when they were beginning to promote the show when it was coming out? 
No, all of these things were very much spoken about when I was auditioning, when I got the role. But like we were talking about, I was not letting myself feel it. Yeah. (laughs) It's not that I wasn't acknowledging these, these things. It was that I was not internalizing it or intellectually allowing myself to, to under, to like feel the weight of that. Yeah. That's a big impact to embody. Oh my gosh. Massive. And a responsibility. And I will say very candidly, I had no idea what I was signing up for. Really? How so? No idea. I mean, first of all, I, it was a role that I never imagined myself playing. And, and then when it happened, I had another really rigorous audition process. I tested like three times and they were really scared to take the chance on me. And also I have to caveat this with at the time I was in my abusive relationship that I've spoken about. Mm. So I was really not allowed to celebrate and I actually got in trouble for getting the role. So that was a massive part of it for sure. But I also think I was really scared of that responsibility. Mm. And so part of me was like, Okay, I'm just gonna do what I do and and be me, and hopefully, hopefully, I embody this like this character's what people expect her to be and what she stands for. I hope I hope that translates in me just trying to be myself uh, and bringing that. But I didn't anticipate the weight of that, and I didn't really feel it that I had like grasped it until maybe the fourth season. Wow. Yeah. And it still scares me. It's a huge thing. And I, and listen, it, it's not like these massive Marvel shows, but it does mean a lot to, to a lot of people. And the but character's I, been around since the fifties. And yeah, I, I would say though, don't, I don't know, as your new friend, I would like for you to not <laughs> squash your success in this realm because I, and look, I have a tendency to do that too. Well, it's not this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I don't know if all of the the Marvel universe that we see coming to television so beautifully, by the way, like how good mm-hmm. is Loki? It's insane. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that Marvel would have felt comfortable with that gamble if the CW hadn't created a world of superhero shows. Yeah. Would they have spent as much money? Would they have put all their eggs in that basket if it hadn't been proven that audiences had a voracious hunger for this kind of content? You helped prove that. I think mm. you deserve to you deserve those flowers. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I do I it does feel good and I do have pride in in what we all did up yeah. in Vancouver. Especially when we we would have these crossovers where all of the shows we would all so come together cool. and just the logistics of that. Yeah, those were the most on um, the days you're talking about where you'd just look around and be like, "This is a good day." Those days were always great. Um, so fun. It was just energetic, and I liked everyone genuinely mm-hmm. um, from all the other shows. It was mm-hmm. fun. It was like the most wild feeling to. Everyone, when you look around in a scene, is wearing a superhero suit, and then we'd walk in a line, like smoldering towards the camera. That felt cool. That's cool. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> what do you think it was that that let it finally click in for you in season four? Truthfully, I've not ever really had a boss like Greg Berlanti, and he's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of conversations with him where he's really um, encouraged me to feel ownership. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize that I wasn't feeling that. 
even when I was walking around on set and, you know, my face was on the chairs everyone is are sitting on. Like, I wouldn't, I wasn't allowing myself to feel ownership. Mm-hmm. And I think a part of that is because I'd been on jobs where I'd seen the, I hate the concept of the number one. And I yeah. still do. And I, I went into that job knowing, okay, well, it's funny because that was a weight I felt immediately. And I, that was something that I was very cognizant of, not any of the broader scheme uh, issues around the show. But what I keenly felt was I really want to be a team player and I don't want to be the number one that people don't like, uh, that is difficult. <laughs> and I think it wasn't until season four when I, I, I had a specific conversation with Greg where he was like, you, you know, you own a part of like, you have ownership and stake in this and this is yours. Yeah. So like feel that and take pride in that. And you have to tell people what you want. And I, I'm still working on that. And also I, I do think it was seeing the effect on young women mm. and young girls and families. I'm really shy when it comes to being myself in public. So I'm not great at social media and sharing like the personal parts of things it doesn't come naturally to me. And being myself and seeing um, the way young women and, and girls would respond or react to certain stories I would hear, those added up. And I think eventually somehow cracked into my my thick skull. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool yeah. what it's doing and what it's done. And I think also in five years' time, I'll, I'll be able to speak a little more to it because I, I do think I'm still processing this massive chunk mm-hmm. of my life, but it's crazy. And I imagine, especially in this moment, as you are closing that chapter, after six years of your life, you know, it's, I remember when we wrapped One Tree Hill, we were all really ready. You know, we thought yeah. season eight was going to be it. We were like, we're done. And then they wanted us to come back for this, you know, final 13. And yeah, okay great. We can do like a, we can do a couple more together and then I'll be done by Thanksgiving and then be free for pilot season. Okay. Mm -hmm. For the first time in a decade, my God, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) and, um, that was terrifying. And and we, I mean, we were ready to finish. And -hmm. for the last two weeks, I walked around on set sobbing (laughs) all day, every day, every person I looked at, I'd burst into tears Mm -hmm. I'd like look at Matt, my steady cam operator, and just start weeping, and he'd start crying, and we'd be hugging like <laughs> under the steady camera. Like, I, 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 I did an entire scene in one of our finale episodes as improv because I couldn't stop crying, and the cameras were rolling, and I just started talking, and then realized, oh, this is they like what's happening, so I'm going to speak as my character now, hmm. like, and it's in the episode. I was, <laughs> I was an inconsolable wreck, even though I was so ready for something new. Mm-hmm. And it's a again, the both and it's so complicated. I really I really feel for you in this strange moment. How long has it been since you wrapped? Uh we wrapped in um August, the beginning of August. Wow, so, so it's fresh. fresh. It's really fresh. And I had a similar gosh, the last 2 weeks of shooting our last episode were 
Like, I don't, I don't think I've felt those levels of stress before in my life. It was so stressful and emotional and confusing. And there were moments that just felt so incredible and, and right. And then moments where I was like, oh, this is why I have to be done. Mm. It was like six years wrapped into two weeks, wow. like this condensed version of it. It, it, it just like kind of inexplicable what it felt like mm. and what you but like six years is not nine but it's still and there, it's a long time it's a long time and it's a long it, it's just long hours with people and and the people that you don't expect to make really tight relationships with yeah. not just the cast yeah. um i'm gonna miss a lot of them oh yeah so much. I'm sure you miss some of them still. Oh yeah. I mean, I I will say, you know, you know, being being in a cast can really be like being in a family where mm-hmm. you fight like cats and dogs and you love yep. each other really fiercely and all the things. But yeah, the the friendships that people people the internet, you know, the the fans don't know about. I'm so close to my camera departments. Mhm. Me you too. You know, uh my wardrobe department, I mean, my girlfriend, Jane, one of my very best friends from North Carolina, one of the most important people who impacted my life in the realest way, uh, my my camera department from Chicago, mm-hmm. and that was a job I needed to be done with. Mm-hmm. I talked to those guys all the time. My focus mm-hmm. puller, Don, came over and helped me plant my hobby orchard. My, my two camera operators, Seth and Will, I talked to all the time. That's great. You know, we have like this little text thread of just me and the boys. And it's like, <laughs> those are my humans. You know, they're yeah. like my big brothers. And it it's such a gift. All of those memories. My, God, my sound operator on One Tree Hill, Mike Rail, I, I, I babysat his daughter from the time mm-hmm. that she was an infant. And like, she's a teenager. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, it's so... Um, I just cherish all of all of that stuff, the seen and the unseen that goes into yeah, it. Me too. What has your process looked like, you know, getting home, wrapping your show? Did you guys have a big party? Have you come home and gone through photos? Do you need space from it for a few months before you can look back? You know, where, where do you find yourself? Uh, I mean, now, also, and I, I'm sure you dealt with this too because you were in Wilmington, we had to move yeah I mean it was a move <laughs> yeah and, it, and an international one because we were in Canada which you know as as close as it is and as similar as Canadians are to Americans it is it's a big thing mm-hmm. it's a big move so my husband and I had to pack up this apartment that we'd been living in for years and sell stuff like I feel like I haven't stopped for three months yeah and we had, of course, like on the horizon before I finished, I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to just be, to just be Melissa, to be a mom, to not have to work these hours or have a call time. Mm. But I haven't really stopped. So yeah. where I'm finding myself now is I just unpacked everything and like melded these two households. Yeah. And now we've got family visiting because also, mind you, it's the pandemic. So I've ha- I have family who haven't met my son yet. And it's been mm. two years since I've seen them. So now we've got this like revolving door of guests staying in our house, Aww. which 
is wonderful and so nourishing, but we're exhausted Mm -hmm. um, in the best way. Mm -hmm. So I think where I'm finding myself now is really only just starting to feel like my head is coming above water Mm. and finding some clarity as to what I want to do with my life, almost like paving this new launching pad, so to speak, and kind of creating that with my husband as a partner and, and I've so been struggling and only just feel like I'm, this is a skill I'm like learning Mm -hmm. is presence and doing that with my son and having moments, hours during the day where I'm not near my phone. Mm -hmm. I'm just like watching him become the little human that he is. And I didn't realize how hard that was going to be. Because like you said, you just are so used to being productive so often and for so many hours during the day that Mm. it's been a challenge for me to learn how to just sit and exist Mm -hmm. with what's around me in that moment. It's crazy how much easier said than done that is. Oh, yeah. Especially with the moving. It, Mm -hmm. It hit me when I was living in Wilmington that it's a very strange. It's kind of like a tension wire because it's a temporary permanence. Yes. You're there you for years You never fully and years, get comfortable. But you never know when it's going to end. And mm-hmm. you know it's not where you really live. Mm-hmm. It never feels like home. It's very, very strange and tricky. Mm-hmm. And so, God, the, the constant moving at the beginning and the end of every season and the unpacking and the what you forgot and the, ugh, to get home and actually have to condense and edit and it's a big it's actually a really big job when you think about putting your roots down and taking a moment to be in your life and your marriage and your baby and all of this do you feel like you'll create a container for that or do you feel like there's already so many questions coming from people saying well what are you going to do next and will you ever revisit Cara Danvers and would you even want to and like are you getting all those questions now yes mm-hmm. oh of course and I, I'm getting the the I definitely feel the pressure to already jump into something new and for the first time in my life and my professional life of course like I feel for the first time like I don't have to do anything mm-hmm. Part of that is just the insane luck and I have so much gratitude that I the show allows me to be financially secure enough mm-hmm. that I don't have to look for work right away, mm-hmm. which I understand how lucky I am for that. But I also just don't feel that mm-hmm. insatiable, like, I got to be working. I got to be working for the first time ever. And that's really foreign but I I do think, um, yeah, I'm getting all those questions. And right now I'm doing this and I'm, I'm saying just hold a beat. Because yeah. truth be told, I've been depressed in the last month and a half, mm-hmm. really since I got home. And I'm still, you know, figuring out what or why, if there is a why, and feeling all of the things and mm-hmm. and talking about it when I can or want Mm -hmm. to. And so that's why I think I'm really just protecting. It's a lot of self-preservation right now. Mm -hmm. And that's also a hard thing for me to do, to say no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's a skill I'm learning. Yeah, it's really tough. And it fascinates me, especially when women in our industry 
have kids mm-hmm. because I've spoken to a number of friends who've said, oh, the thing I always needed to learn for myself, which was to say no, my kid mm-hmm. motivated me to do. Completely. Because all of a sudden, I feel that too. you know, when you're so used to showing up and being good and doing the thing and working even if you're sick and all, you, what that really is is that you show up for other people no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so when you're showing up for a baby, you're like, oh, no, we don't do this for the baby. And then suddenly yep. I, I had this realization with a friend of mine's son when he was born. Mm-hmm. I, he was in my arms. He was five days old. And I just thought, oh, I would never let someone overwork this baby. Yep. Or not let him sleep. Or like, what are we all doing? I'll sleep when I'm dead. Like, I'm taking a red eye. I was like, <laughs> what? It changed my whole life. I was like, what's happening? Yeah. And, it, and it shook me because I thought, what's going to happen when I have my own kid? This isn't even my kid. This is just one of my best friend's kids. <laughs> so yeah. I, I wondered, does does being a mom, is it sort of teaching you to set better boundaries for yourself as an individual? Yes. Mm-hmm. 100%. And it's not just to protect myself, but it's also because I don't want to miss a single moment mm. with him. Because he's and so little and squishy. He's so wonderful. Oh, it's so And fun. he's like my be- little best friend. And I like I was even having panic attacks on set in this last season because once he started becoming more mobile and crawling and he was looking like he was about to start walking in the last month of the show and I I was freaking out on set like what if I'm not there what if I miss his first steps and I a lot of that is baggage from my childhood because my dad was absent and Mm. it really affected me and my mom was always there and was like this constant northern star. And I I just, <laughs> that was something that is really driving me now. Like I, I want him to feel that mm-hmm. constant love and presence. And now I know that that's sometimes not possible. Yeah. And sometimes I can be away from him. But yeah, that's a, it's a really big driving force. And to protect myself, mm-hmm. for sure. And, and boundaries become much easier to set. That's great. Uh, look, mm-hmm. I think you get I think you get to do what you feel. You want to be there for all these squishy little moments right now. Great. Mm-hmm. And when you're ready mm-hmm. to to be on your next thing, then he gets to watch his mom be a badass. Yeah. And that's all great. Yeah. It's all really really phenomenal and I I think it's a beautiful moment you're in and I think it's a beautiful example you're going to set and I think you know, and you touched on this earlier, I think it is so amazing. It's it's a thing that's really nice to witness for you, especially because you've talked about the fact that in your younger life, you were in an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that your honesty about that and also your existing in this really joyous place you're in now mm-hmm. will set layers of examples and give layers of hope to other women and other people who find themselves in the various stages of a similar journey. I hope so. I hope it does. Was it hard to share that with people? Oh, I, I I always wonder because it's it's everyone's look, it's everyone's timeline, whatever you're a survivor of, whether it's domestic violence or sexual assault or harassment in the workplace, you get to decide when you feel ready to share your story. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what what prompted you to share yours? 
I think that I sort of always knew I was going to the second I found the strength to leave. Finding that strength was an amalgamation of a million different things. It wasn't just, of course, it was me making the decision. I had to be the one to do that. But so many things, I think, had aligned in, in that mm. point of time in my life that were the breeding grounds to me finding the strength. And, you know, I think all the time about these sliding doors, alternate realities of what would have happened if one specific thing were not the way it was at that time in my life. Like, would I have left when I did or would I still be with him? God forbid. And I don't think that I would have. I think I ultimately would have always gotten out. But I think I always knew that I wanted to talk about it because I was already on Supergirl and knew I had a platform. And I I think the real root of it is that I always felt a little hypocritical that I was playing this character who was made of steel, who was the strongest woman in the world. And I wasn't doing that in my own life. Mm. And I think that really, uh, when I when I left him, <laughs> I, I feel so cheesy to say, but I, I do think that playing the character I was playing really helped me feel or encouraged me mm-hmm. to to live that, to take a cue from what I was doing, what I was pretending to do on a day-to-day basis at work. Yeah, I don't know. But I do think I always knew I was going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I was angry. Mm-hmm. I was really mad. Oh, yeah. So a part of it did come from wanting accountability and wanting someone that I felt like had not faced any to to feel that. Because mm-hmm. I certainly never, while I was with him and even in the first couple years after I had left, I, uh, he didn't face any accountability. Mm. So a lot of it was fueled by anger. Yeah. I think that's a really hard thing when when you've been through something like this. The lack of accountability, which we know to permeate every, virtually every one of these types of situations is so, it is, it's infuriating. Yep. I still carry some real anger about that in my own yeah, life. Yeah, sure. And it is, yeah. it is really, really hard. And I think figuring out how, how to throw down whatever gauntlet you need to so that mm-hmm. you can move on is so important. And I, I really admire that you chose to do that because I really do think it, it gave a lot of strength to a lot of people who you don't even know. And that was, I always intellectually knew that concept, like, and that was also a huge part of the reason why I wanted to uh, do it in such a public way was because I knew that if women saw, like I was saying, this woman who was playing the strongest woman on earth and saw that she, what I was actually going through while doing that, I, I just hoped that women in my situation in similar situations would be able to see that it could happen to anyone. Yeah. Cause I never expected it would happen to me. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of us do. Nope. But when you fast forward and, and you're in this wonderful relationship, you're 
very happily married. Chris is a wonderful husband. You, you're, you're beaming when you talk about your son. I wonder if, knowing what little I know about Chris and, and his organization and his advocacy about mental health and his, mm-hmm. his organization um, for everyone listening is called I Don't Mind. Do you think that somehow, whatever it is, including this experience of yours that shaped you both, what brought you together to connect on that deeper level, to do that kind of advocacy work together, to, to continue to destigmatize conversations around surviving these sorts of things and, and mental health in general. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. And, and his experience too, he lost family member because of a mental health. Um, his mm. dad had psych- a psychotic break and then died of a heart attack mm. because of it. And so he's very affected by that. And then, yes, I think my experience has absolutely informed my experience and and how my and my healing journey mm. has informed how the two of us being able to work on this and be advocates for mental health and destigmatizing especially especially in young people because yeah. i feel like if we get young people talking about it it might prevent certain things from happening yeah later on not just big terrible things like suicide but getting in toxic relationships mm-hmm. and recognizing when you're being manipulated or mm-hmm. or abused emotionally and if it's not physically or just being in tune with and taking care of your mind yeah. is really powerful and goes a long way um so yeah I, I do think and and Chris and I met at the perfect time like you were saying I think with your fiance, I think every experience that both of us have had up to the point of meeting each other, everything happened for a reason. And I and I know don't normally say that, but we mm. we met each other at the perfect time in our lives. And mm. he was so supportive and held like a huge amount of space for my healing journey. Mm. And yeah, I wonder about that. Was it strange to start dating again? Yeah, and it was tough. It was uh, I I would get triggered really easily by the smallest thing. Any time I ever felt an inkling of like feeling like I was going to be controlled or someone was telling me what to do, immediately I was like, "Well, I no, I'm my own person. Stop." Mm. And I was so guarded, and I struggled a lot with honesty because I was hiding so much for so long and had become so accustomed to lying. That I was lying about the stupidest things mm. um, because I was afraid of someone's reaction mm-hmm. to the truth. So that was a lot of work. I had to I had to do a lot of work with that. But I will cite um, therapy is saving my life. And I did. Um, I always mix up the letters. E- EDMR is that EMDR? Is that it? Have you yeah. EMDR? Incredible, amazing, incredible. Change, like I don't think I would have made it out alive without it. <laughs> it saved me. So that was really impactful. Just the resources that are there when you look for them are so valuable. And mm-hmm. but dating, yeah, to answer your question, it was really hard. And I'm so lucky that Chris is who he is and was so compassionate and held so much empathy for me and would not match my triggers. Uh, he would was always, I don't know how, like uncannily so, would always know when it wasn't me reacting. It was my 
history. Mm-hmm. And he just was so calm and, and patient and loving. Mm-hmm. And I wish that for every single woman. I am so yeah. lucky to have found that love. Yeah. And anyone who's ever felt the way that I did in my abusive relationship, I just wish that kind of love for them. Yeah. Whether it's for themselves or with another person. I think it's incredibly powerful when you begin to rewrite your story and are mm-hmm. lucky enough to meet another person, you know, a platonic friend, a romantic partner who aids you in doing that, mm-hmm. who helps, you know, keep the pen moving across the page. Yes, and helps you find the best version of yourself. Mm. Totally. Mm. And I, and I, you know, someone once said to me once, and I loved this idea because I, I definitely feel that in times, in the hardest times of your life, that's usually when you feel the most alive mm. because you're so hyper aware of everything. And while the relationship I was in was definitely the darkest time of my life, the hardest time I think was after, just after and the, the act of leaving and just after when I was finally with myself mm-hmm. and reflecting on what had just happened and how I got there, which I'm still decompressing from. I, yeah. I still don't really understand how I ended up in that place with that person. But when you start, I think I was so alive in that moment and so ready to let Chris in. Um, because he was kind of matching that with me and he was like, yeah, I see you. I see what's happening. And I'm going through my own version of that. It also was, we were just madly in love and and didn't realize it, but (laughs) I mean, we did, we just weren't telling each other yet, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) that time of my life is, uh, I, I just will never forget it. It, It's like a visceral feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to think about, you know, where it brought you. To building mm-hmm. a family and just what a beautiful, what a beautiful evolution. Mm-hmm. I wonder too, coming from a family that went through divorce and then leaning into building your own family and, and even the way that you, you have such deep connections with the rest of your family. I mean, your, your sister is your, your writing partner mm-hmm. uh, I, and, I, and I really want to hear about that. I, I wonder, is there work required to say... Or is it a decision to say, this is my story, this is my version, this is how I'm going to lean into my family? You know, we, we, get to, we get to, I mean, not to be cheesy, but, you know, we get to write our own story metaphorically mm-hmm. and in the case of you and your sister, literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and when we approached, in approaching that, I mean, Jessica, my older sister, who I wrote the book with, I can only remember her ever writing. Mm. And she would fill those spiral notebooks, those memo spiral notebooks you always got for school. Yeah. Just fill them with stories and like novels when she wow. was a kid. Wow. So when we approached this, uh, I really wanted her to have just the freedom. And, and I think what is so exciting about this particular book, and, and it's a middle grade series about two sisters. And that's always something that fascinates me is uh, our relationships as women and, um, and young girls too. And I grew up in a household full of girls. It was all girls, sometimes even 
the animals were all girls, especially when my dad was gone. And <laughs> it's so, I love that. I yeah. love feminine energy and I love when mm-hmm. women come together and that was something we really cared about expressing. But then also we grew up in a household that, like I told you, was really adamant about nature and conservancy. And uh, we loved natural park, national parks. And there was a reverence mm. for nature. And we would go on these long drives with our grandparents through the mountains. And my grandpa would be whistling to Mozart and Beethoven. And some of those moments and those memories of just looking out the car window and seeing the mountains and seeing moose and deer and are so vivid and special to me. And we care so much about protecting that and spreading awareness and and getting young people to care about it. Uh, So that was really the driving force that Jessica and I wanted to convey. And we also just love magic and fantasy and and those kinds of things. Have you always been a fan of the genre? Yeah. I mean, Mm. I was a strange kid who read Lord of the Rings every Christmas and would like put on crazy fluffy socks and like disappear into those books. And I loved Harry Potter. Um, I, I have like a much broader reading palette now, but yeah, as a kid, it was a lot of fantasy. That's so cool. So how Mm -hmm. did you guys come up with the idea and, and for everyone who's listening and I'm sure dying to know what the book is about, can, can you give us a little synopsis? Well, these two sisters on their 13th birthday discover that they have powers um, and the powers are sort of linked to the natural world. I don't want to tell you what mm. their powers are because it's really cool. And, and I think that's a big reveal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they're powers that I think everyone would really want to have. Um, so it's really about these, uh, and they start to uncover this whole world that they didn't know uh, existed. And, and their mother their mother is missing and um, believed to be dead. So that's a mystery they're trying to solve. And it's a really cool adventure for two that. young sisters. I love that. Do you guys think that you'll do more? I hope so. I hope so. I, I think um, we'll definitely do a sequel mm. and um, we'll see if, if people like it. Did the adventure of writing this book with her make you want to write more, whether it's, uh, you know, past the sequel or even to take a stab at something solo? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. I haven't thought about it. Possibly. I mean, I'm, I'm a big journaler and I've, I mm. love... I love that, but I'm not so sure that creative writing is truly my strength. <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe. You I've always know. wanted to be a journaler. It's still on my goals list. It's it's not something I've quite mastered yet, but I'd like to. It's hard to keep up. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I will go through, I'll lapse and I'll go through months where I don't, but then some, sometimes I'll just pick up a pen and there's just something so wonderful about writing on paper and mm. it really helps my mind kind of declutter. I love that. I love that. Especially in a moment, like you said, where you find yourself, you know, after this big chunk of years of your life have wrapped up and your baby just turned one and... It feels like a moment that deserves sort of stillness and curiosity. Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. a, a blank page is a nice place to go for that. 
That's actually really inspiring to hear. And I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, I like that you use the word curiosity. Because it's kind of like when a in my own way, in my own relative way, I know the moment you're in. And it's like when a mm-hmm. tornado finally starts to settle down. Mm-hmm. And you really deserve to just be still. Yeah. So I'm yeah. excited for you. I am too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for you to get through your last box and to like this to be held by the people you love, but then also for them to leave your house, you know, <laughs> both and all of those things. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a cool time. Yeah. And and I feel like if if we talk again, when we talk again, because I I love to talking to you. Me You're, too. And you are as cool. As everyone has Same. told me, you I'm are. like, we have to be friends in real life. <laughs> yeah, but when we talk again, I feel like I, I think I'll look back on this conversation that we're having and be like, wow, you really didn't know what was going. On. Your head was not screwed on yet. No, because um, I do feel like I'm in that moment. You know, when you have those where you're just like, what? Like you're saying that the tornado has just left the building, and I and I am just trying to eat up every moment. Yeah. And and I'm excited for what's next. I'm really excited. That's so cool. This is actually my favorite question to ask everyone who comes on the show, and it feels like the perfect moment to do it, given this sort of moment in time you find yourself in. What would you say now in your life feels like a work in progress? I would say the first, I'll just say the first thing that came to my mind, the act of loving myself. Mm. I'd say is very much a work in progress right now. I think it's as simple as that. Mm. I used to think it was kind of like a ladder. You'd climb and eventually get to the top. And now I've realized it's sort of like the the Guggenheim Museum. It's just circles. Mm. You actually do circles to get up a level, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it'll keep going forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of thinking of it. Yeah, I'm And like, I love that museum. Yeah, same. I'm like, oh, I got here. Oh, now there's another. Okay. I'm just going to keep going bit mm-hmm. by bit. Very cool. Well, congratulations on all of the things, you know, personal, professional, all of the advocacy and and all of the examples that you've been so consciously and thoughtfully setting for people. I just, I, I really admire you. Likewise, the feeling is mutual. Mm-hmm. 